Father Joseph and his blood-red ferriolo. Father Joseph leans back in his chair and smiles. He feels happy, content, satiated. A knock hits his office door. Father Joseph calls, come in, come in, doors open. He meant to open the door. He likes his office door open, wide open, to all souls who need him. Unless, of course, he desires privacy. Then the door is best closed and locked. The Kennedys enter, Joan and Bill, staunch supporters of the diocese, ten percenters all the way, always ready to volunteer, usher, make pancakes, dust the chandeliers in the sanctuary. Five children, three sons, two daughters, thinking one more, not doing anything to prevent it. Their eldest, Nathaniel, twelve, presently serves Father Joseph as an altar boy, though Father Joseph prefers the term acolyte. He likes to say, in his serene, casual style, acolyte gives the job a certain dignity. So important in life to have one's dignity. Nathaniel just departed. He slipped out the side door that leads to the changing room where Father Joseph keeps his clerical clothing and vestments. A bit of a dandy, and from a well-to-do, if dysfunctional, family, Father Joseph has a very nice selection of cassocks, capes, collars, hats, and even a fine wool ferriolo for cold-weather outings. Also, carefully pressed and hung, the changing room contains Father Joseph's clerical wardrobe that he wears during Mass. The amice, the alb, several cinchers, the stole, and a variety of chasubles in green, purple, white, black, and blood red. Father Joseph loves blood red. O Lord, who hath said, My yoke is easy, and my burden light, grant that I may be able to bear it, that I may obtain thy grace. Amen. And the sink in the corner where Nathaniel and other acolytes wash Father Joseph's hands and sometimes his feet before the priest dresses for Mass. Give virtue to my hands, O Lord, that being cleansed from all stains I might serve you with purity of mind and body. Joan and Bill Kennedy stand until Father Joseph insists they sit. Bill, well, he has his doubts about the whole religious thing, but he keeps these doubts to himself. He knows how much the church and this priest mean to his wife. Anything to keep her calm and steady. His job is to provide food and shelter, safety and security. He's only here because Joan asked him to come. Bill looks around the office while his wife and the priest chat. He sees family pictures on the walls, more family pictures on the desk. Looks to be parents, siblings, maybe nephews and nieces. Bill hears them talking about Nathaniel and David, 10, also an altar boy. Father Joseph, in his quiet, pleasant voice, assures Joan the boys are doing a bang-up job, first class. The conversation drifts to last Sunday's sermon, 
to next week's pancake breakfast, to next month's flower show to raise money for the orphanage. Bill hears them babbling away, occasionally laughing, but mostly he's thinking about those reports his boss wants by the end of the week and that new secretary in accounting with the mile-long legs. The thought of having those killer legs wrapped around his neck nearly causes Bill to pant. Father Joseph has been at the diocese for just about a year. He's very popular with the parishioners. He has a fine sense of humor, but still manages to give a strong sermon, emphasizing the need to help the poor, the sick, the elderly, the young, and the abused. Father Joseph was at a diocese in another state before he arrived here. The church quietly moved him when a misunderstanding unsettled the congregation. The local police even took an interest, briefly. But soon the rumors were squelched, and the archdiocese suggested Father Joseph take a new posting. All of this has not been easy for Father Joseph. As a teenager, he was uncertain about his sexual identity. He was attracted to men, well, to boys his own age, but this attraction struck him as deviant, so he struggled against it. He suppressed his feelings, expressed his sexual desires toward no one, and decided, after college, to the surprise of almost everyone, to become a priest. Since then, well, it's been a process, one small step at a time. For Joseph, like virtually all mammals roaming the planet, especially mammals with a phallus, has needs, desires, impulses. Centuries ago, the church banned sexual liaisons and intimacies of any kind with adults of either gender. So Father Joseph turned his attention elsewhere. Over many years, he formulated ways to justify the behaviors brewing in his head. Some profound inhibitions blocked his efforts, but all those needs desires, and impulses proved to be potent forces. Once these inhibitions were destroyed, Father Joseph simply had to overcome a variety of external factors so that he would be able to practice what up until then were merely thoughts in his brain and desires in his loins. This proved easy enough to do, as he ran the small diocese on his own and was often alone with his acolytes. The final step was to choose a partner. Father Joseph preferred partner, as most other descriptions lacked dignity. It took time, over a year. There had been several miscues and much awkwardness, but finally, success and much gratification until that misunderstanding. Well, here, at his new posting, it has gone much easier. Everything has gone smoothly. Young Nathaniel, he feels, fell into his lap, heaven sent, by God, no doubt, a gift for all Father Joseph does for the poor and the sick, for the elderly and those who suffer with guilt and doubt. Father Joseph turns his attention to Bill. You haven't been a regular attendee, Bill, 
the priest says. Is there anything I can do for you? The church has only one purpose, to assist those in need. I'm good, says Bill. No needs right now. When Bill was a kid, an altar boy at St. Rose's, Father Ignatius fondled him on numerous occasions. Nothing too dramatic, just grabbed him through his corduroys. Bill suppressed the abuse, told no one, has acted all his life like it never happened. The Kennedys stand, and Joan thanks the priest for his kindnesses. Father Joseph gives Joan a hug, and Bill a sturdy handshake. Bill finds it impossible to look the priest in the eye. Soon after the Kennedys depart, Father Joseph goes into his dressing room, disrobes, and pulls on his finest ferriolo, a blood-red, ankle-length cape made of the finest mulberry silk. He then goes looking for Nathaniel. He finds the boy on the high altar polishing candlesticks. Come, Nathaniel, he commands, come. I have something far more important for you to polish. A sick, sad little story, to be sure. But one that needs to be told over and over, so it never happens again to anyone. To shy away from these atrocities is to condone them. To pretend these abuses don't exist is to guarantee the abuses will persist. It's estimated over a quarter of a million children were abused by Catholic priests in the United States between 1950 and 2020. God only knows the full extent of the abuse over the centuries. These priests were sick. I mean, it's not normal to sexually abuse powerless children. The priests needed help. The Catholic Church did not provide the help. Instead, the Church, from the local parish right up to the Pope sitting in the Vatican, made excuses, denied the abuse existed, moved sick priests from one diocese to another, where... Like in this story, they abused additional children. I considered a graphic depiction of what Father Joseph inflicted upon young Nathaniel Kennedy. But in the end, I just couldn't bring myself to do it.